Now, talking about adventures, Caroline, one of my favourite memories was the time that you, Emma, and I all got sent on a work trip together to the London-wide trade fair. What are your memories of us three travelling together? I think if Dean was in charge then, I don't think sending us all at the same time would have been on the cards. So lucky we got that one uh, through the keeper, I think. That was really, a, I guess, a life-changing trip for me, to be honest, because up until then, I was working in the advertising industry, having a great time, but couldn't really see a place for me back at Brown Family Wine Group. What London Wine Trade Fair had been kind of like this event that Dad had been to every single year of, of our lives. He went away in June and went to this amazing festival, this wine festival that I kind of conjured up these pictures of. Yeah, he called all of us that year and said, I think you should go to London Wine Trade Fair. I'm not going, but you three should go together. So I asked if I could get some time off my job in advertising and I was told no. So I left my job, (laughs) packed up a bag and we uh, all flew to London together. (laughs) And it was really, to me, that was my turning point where we were standing, you know, at the, it was just Brown Brothers back then, at the Brown Brothers table in London and people from all over the world knew about our little family brand and that to me was just so eye-opening and that really made me realise that hopefully there was a place for me back in the business. Now, Caroline, I know when Catherine, Emma and yourself go travelling together, you're very, very happy to share the same room. Did that happen in London as well? <laughs> yes, we um, we did share the same room and we it got to the point, though, where I think <laughs> the export manager at the time um, took it a little bit too seriously and ended up booking us a room with three tiny little single beds in the room <laughs> in some random, like, out-of-London suburbs. So <laughs> we had some very fun times, but I think, you know, between working and going out, we didn't spend much time in the room, so... Yeah, but we do. We always, for those who book us conference rooms, know that we do like to share. And one of those perks of um, the three of us all standing on that stand together at London Wide Trade Fair was uh, the rotation of shoes. When our feet started getting sore after, you know, the second day and your feet are pretty sore from standing all day and you've got five days of standing, we'd just swap shoes around to each other just to get that (laughs) slightly different feeling on your foot. (laughs) Get a blister in a different spot. Yeah. Yeah. And, And Andrew, you'd know this from talking at those events that go all week, like you're just absolutely buggered the whole time. And having the three of us there, there was always one of us who was sort of having a bit more of an off or on day than the other. So one of us would start talking and then the other one and kind of go off on a tangent and then the other one would bring it back. And <laughs> we, 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 between swapping shoes and helping each other out, we had a great time. And, and delivered the message. Got yes. three people to deliver the message is great. That's it. <laughs> now, Caroline, you just mentioned you worked at an advertising agency. What was that? Yes. And tell us some of the most interesting projects you worked on in the, in that role. Yeah, I worked for about three years in advertising before coming back to Brown Family Wine Group. And my first job, it was actually my first real job. So I was at an agency called Leo Burnett, which is a worldwide, quite a famous advertising agency. So I was all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I I absolutely loved it. It was the best training that I think I could have got. So I worked on some incredible brands. So 7-Eleven, Nintendo, which was an incredible brand to work on. I started off as an account executive and finished as an account manager. Yeah, worked across some incredible brands. One of them in my kind of 
later time being there in the in the third year was a brand called Warnable Cheese and Butter Company. And they were a really lovely brand to work for. It was essentially a dairy company based down in Warnable. And I believe now they're owned by one of the big international conglomerates. Back then it was a very sort of hands-on brand. And I'll just tell you a little story about, about it because the, the guy who was the marketing manager was super lovely and him and I got on really well. And but kind of like us, Every time you do an advertising campaign, there's always a budget. And what the advertising agency thinks there should, what budget they think there should be is very different to what the client thinks there should be. So there's always ways where you're trying to save a bit of cash. And one of his ideas was that he was going to use all of the local farmers in Warrnambool to star in the upcoming advertising campaign. And part of that campaign was actually taking photos of the farmers or the farmers' families and putting them on the actual cheese packets. So we spent, you know, weeks trying to source this talent and make sure that all these farmers were ready. So we got down there for the film shoot, and on the first day, one of the women who was the farmer's wife, say, or one of the farmers, she got nervous and pulled out. So there was nobody (laughs) to take this role. So, of course, the marketing manager from Warrnambool Cheese and Butter said, oh, Caroline will do it. So here I am, meant to be the, the on one side, like the the agency side, all of a sudden I'm wearing a flannelette shirt and carrying buckets of milk around a farm. But essentially the idea was that people's faces weren't to be shown. So it was all about a little bit of, I guess, mystery. And so you saw the farmer, but you actually didn't see his face. So I signed a talent release form saying that I would be happily have, you know, the back of my head or whatever on this cheese packet, but my face wasn't to be shown. So (laughs) fast forward a couple of months, the campaign rolls out, cheese packet fly out the factory and my body is on this cheese packet, which is totally fine, like all part of the campaign. A couple of months later, I get an email once I've left the agency. I was actually in London. (laughs) get an email from the production manager at the agency saying, "Uh, we've actually decided to change the idea and we're showing people's faces now so we're using photographs that were taken and you know the feedback was that they seemed the the imagery seemed a little bit dull so we want to put people's faces in it so because you signed a release form to say that you didn't want your face in it we've superimposed somebody else's face onto your body (laughs) (laughs) so production round two production came through and all these cheese packets came out of the factory and it was my body my hair my like the outside of my face but somebody else's like nose and mouth on top of my face it's hilarious (laughs) which is um which was kind of (laughs) weird and it was on the shelves in Coles for probably about three years yeah, the brand, I believe the brand is still out there. It's called Great Ocean Road and it used to have photographs on it, but I think they've changed the packaging now. But I do have a copy of the original cheese packet that featured the real me. Oh, we need to see it. We need to see it. That, 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 will, be, that will be the advertising of this ferment episode, I think. It has to be. Oh, I'll pick it up. I'll see can if you I can let us do it, it Caroline? <laughs> can you sign it's a, a disclosure? Of, <laughs> disclosure. It's a matter of finding it in a box, I think. I'll see how I go. <laughs> uh, classic. <laughs> yeah, so I had some great times in advertising. It was a re- it really set me up, I guess, for my my role at Brown Family Wine Group when I did come back. So brilliant segue, Caroline. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown of the roles that you've had since you came back into Brown Family Wine Group? Yes, I'll keep it short. I came back and did vintage, so that was really my first 
I decided I did want to come back to the business and I knew that I always wanted to do vintage before I came back. thought it was really important to understand if marketing was probably where I was going to work. So if I was going to be talking about our products, I really wanted to know how they were made. So I did vintage at the end of 2000, or sorry, 2013 vintage and just loved it. Absolutely loved it. I think I drove Joel and the team nuts because I had so many questions. Really, really loved it. And then Catherine was in the PR role and actually decided she wanted to move into brand management. So the PR role was available and that was offered to me. So I snapped that up pretty quickly. I just kind of went from there. So it's always been PR, but with a twist, I guess. So I went on to manage the digital team for a couple of years and get quite involved there and then changed into PR and corporate communications, which is what I still am today for the next three weeks. Um, but yeah, I think essentially I love my job. Every day is completely different. The key goal is to get people talking about our brands and our wines. So telling our stories, our brand stories to anyone and everyone who will listen and I guess encouraging people to visit our sites as well. So that's sort of the PR side. And then the corporate communications is working out ways to keep the business more connected and also telling a business story. So whether that's through LinkedIn, social media, business publications as well. And then on the side, we do this little brand ambassador gig, which the three of us do, which I absolutely love, which is being able to get out on the road and work with you guys. So the sales teams, the marketing teams, export teams, get out there and tell brand stories, but also tell as much about the wines as possible as well. Now, just casting your mind back to vintage, I know like Catherine, myself and you, we've all done vintages and there's always one sort of horror story of something going wrong during vintage. Have you got something that you can share of your vintage that's something that might have happened, any mishaps or anything like that? (laughs) There was definitely more than one. (laughs) (laughs) The worst one was when I rotated the pneumonic press without the doors of the press on. And it was the 2013 Patricia Shiraz (gasps) and it was pouring with rain and I think I'd had a few drinks the night before and I was, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) I rotated the press, the doors weren't on, Patricia Shiraz was all over the asphalt out in the winery and one of the guys turned around and he just shook his head and he said, I'm so glad that was you and not me. <laughs> as, we're shov- as we're shoveling gritty Patricia Shiraz back into the press. Yeah. So I always say if there's extra notes of asphalt in that wine, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> some, tarry, some tarry undertones. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, Lisa Beck was pretty glad when I took the PR role and got out of her hair. <laughs> now, Caroline, you made the move from Melbourne to Gippsland recently. How have you found yes. it in the country again? And tell us about your husband, Tim. <laughs> I'm not laughing at the husband, Tim. I'm <laughs> laughing at the moving to East Gippsland thing because I just always thought if I was going to move to the country, I would move to Millowa or northeast Victoria. So, It was a bit of a change for me, I guess, moving to a town that I never even thought would be on my radar. The nice thing is, though, that we actually holiday 
down here. We've holidayed down here at Catherine's and my grandparents on mum's side retired down to Meetung, which is um, just a couple of kilometres away from where I live now. It always had a really special, been a special place for us. So it was quite, I guess if I was going to move to another area, this was a pretty good one to move to. So I'm still finding my feet, to be honest. I've been down here for nearly two years, but up until COVID hit, I was commuting back and forth to Melbourne once or twice a week for a couple of days. So I sort of found it a bit difficult to, I guess, meet people and stop. So I think having a baby down here will be a nice opportunity to just sort of settle and start to feel like a real East Gippslander. Um, some mockies. <laughs> well, I, there's a town which is about a couple of an hour and a half away called Moi, and a lot of people know Moi not for great reasons. It's not a a great town, but supposedly it stands for moccasins on everybody. So um, <laughs> I did get a pair of UGG boots for my birthday from Tim. So you never know. <laughs> it's branching out. Yeah, he's <laughs> <Mom, mom's> moving. <laughs> But yeah, Tim, for those who have met Tim or um, know a little bit about our story, we met in at the end of 2017, it must have been. It was an absolute whirlwind romance. We got engaged after six months and married within the year, which is pretty crazy to think about all, <laughs> all of the people I dated in the past. And I guess once you meet the one that, that you knows the one that um, things move pretty quickly. So that was pretty special. And Tim says that it took me, it took a pandemic for me to move down here properly. And we've pretty much spent every day together since the pandemic and happy to report back that we still like each other, which is great. It's a good tester. It is a good tester for relationships, especially when like Catherine, (laughs) yourself and myself, when you travel so much for work and when you're back at home, it is a very good tester. And yeah, it's great that everything's going well and a new addition very shortly, which will just bring an absolute joy to your life I'm sure. <laughs> totally. The nice thing as well is Jim's part of his family's business so they're in earth moving and civil construction so his dad started the business and his brother and brother-in-law work in the business which is really nice because we have a lot of I guess sim- similarities and you see definitely see that all family businesses are the same in one way or another but the best part is that the Whelan family have taken up drinking wine in a big way and for the customer service team who are listening, they, they'll be nodding their heads because the amount of wine orders that I've been putting through lately, no wonder no one knows that I'm pregnant because they don't think that I've been <laughs> drinking a lot. But um, they've discovered Montepulciano and they're buying it by the case or the pallet load at the moment. So we, we've got a little bit of a joke that the baby's name's Monty. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's got to be at least on the radar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a cute name. <laughs> and what about outside of work? What's important to you? Oh, I feel like I've already sort of made it quite obvious. I, I think family, I, everybody says it, but it's very yes. much true True for me. Yes, <laughs> Everyone says it except for Ross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who just said fishing, I think. Fishing, yeah, fishing. <laughs> fishing and but, um, Pinot Noir. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I mean, family is super important. I've been very blessed to have my for my two best friends to be my sisters and moving over here. I think that was probably the hardest thing is being further away from them. But we have a very close knit family. Sometimes people would probably say a bit too close. But then I met the Whelans, Tim's family, and realised that we're not as close as them. So we're not too crazy. Yeah, definitely. I guess family. Also, just being healthy. I think is so important. Staying fit looking out for our friends and family and I think just touching on 
what I said before around mental health, I think it's just so important that we're checking in with everyone and making sure that everyone's doing okay, particularly during this really tough time. That's what keeps me awake at night, but also um, quite motivated. Now, Caroline, when we first started this podcast, we did some training down in Melbourne. And as part of that, we did a little bit of dialogue back and forward and it sort of moved very quickly onto some of the weirdest foods you've ever eaten in, in the travels that we do. And you had a really interesting story on the weirdest thing that you've eaten from a trip to China. Do you want to share that with our Ferment listeners? Yeah, it's really messed up though. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I brought it up. <laughs> if you're eating right now, please put that aside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, stop eating your lunch now. So I went to a, it was a pretty high-end wine dinner in Shanghai probably about five years ago and I sat next to, it was like the head of um, ASC who's our distributor or one of our distributors over in China. I was having a, a lovely chat to him and there was a menu but I didn't really look at it. So this soup came out and it, it was, to me, it was chicken and sweet corn soup, which I thought was kind of strange because I thought that was always a little bit of a westernised Chinese food. But lo and behold, it was absolutely delicious. So drank, you know how it's kind of quite gluggy, mm. that chicken and sweet corn soup? It's got, I think they put corn flour or something in it. MSG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not much corn, not much chicken. Anyway, so, but there was, there actually was a severe lack of corn in this chicken and sweet corn soup, which surprised me. So I finished my soup and table was cleared and I actually picked up the menu and, and read what it was and it said bird's nest soup. I said, oh, that's strange. So I asked the head of ASC next to me, I said, why do they call it bird's nest soup? What do they crush up bird's nests and put it in there? And he said, huh, sort of, I can explain it to you if you like. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so supposedly there's this type of bird in China. It's like a swallow. And they live in caves, in nests in caves. The way they build their nests is um, they regurgitate their saliva and smear it around some sticks and whatnot from the jungle and make these birds' nests, which, you know, that, that's fine. Then the, the Chinese come and swing through the caves via, like, abseiling rope and they take all of the birds' nests, put them all into a bucket and they boil down that beautiful spit and they turn it into a soup. <laughs> oh, yuck. oh, dear. Oh, so I ate a whole bowl of bird's vomit. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder there was no corn in there. <laughs> Any carrot? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's too much. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. but it's it's meant to be, of course, when you eat something disgusting in China, the first thing they say if you're a woman is it's great for beauty and great for your skin and great for health. So it was all of those things. I, I must admit I did wake up looking pretty radiant the next day, so <laughs> no regrets. But. <laughs> but, but, but weren't going straight back to order another bird's nest soup? <laughs> yeah, so my tip for the listeners is if you are in China, just double check the menu before you start eating. Time for a break now with our Brown Family Wine Group Reflections. I'm here with Ernie Minichelli from our Brown Brothers Cellar Door and Ernie's got a funny story to share with us. Thanks Ernie, take it away. Thanks Andrew. Look, as you can imagine after working here for 32 years, there's been heaps of occasions where funny things have happened either to do with our visitors. Uh, it usually involves having fun with each other on the counter, behind the scenes. It's all about creating, having fun and playing practical jokes and pranks. So this is many years ago now and it still sticks in my mind uh, 
fellow colleague. I won't I won't name any 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 names. Probably a good idea. Yeah, okay. we haven't spoken to our lawyers yet, so no. yeah, keep keep it keep it nameless. Keep it there. Okay, so uh, he, he was prone in the days when you could have a take a bottle of wine to, to have with lunch. Now you, you really can't do that any longer. Well, not that I know of. Um, so he was prone to take a bottle of Chenin Blanc, not the whole bottle. He'd take half a bottle, have a glass with his lunch, because he reckoned Chenin Blanc went with everything. And so I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stitch him up. So I actually before he went over, I, I sort of got a bottle, an empty bottle filled with water, had it in the fridge sitting there so it was nice and cold. So he grabbed that bottle, went all the way to the lunchroom, and then I could almost hear the scream from here. <laughs> he came back over and said, what have you done with the Chenin Blanc? You put water in it. <laughs> and uh, it, it took about a week for him to get, get over it because he was so upset. Well, he saw the funny side later, but at the time he didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> had to do the extra walk. <laughs> exactly. He, he was he was taste testing before he went to, went to lunch every, oh, every time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's what we do at Seldon. We're, we're always having fun. Thank you, Ernie, for giving us Brown Family Wine Group Reflection. Caroline, we've heard quite a few funny travel stories already. Have you got any others? <laughs> I've always got some good travel stories. I think traveling's been such a huge part of my life. And looking back on it now, I guess during this pandemic, it's nice to look back on some of those travel memories, thinking that I probably won't be getting on a plane anytime soon. I think one of my greatest memories was in, must have been about 2003, I packed up a backpack with two of my girlfriends and we decided to go to India for five weeks. And it wasn't like go to India and stay in these beautiful sort of palace hotels. It was go to India with barely any money in your pocket and see if you can survive for five weeks. So we had an absolute ball and it was one of the most incredible eye-opening places I've ever been. And I think for those who have been to India, you'd understand that it's one of those places you'd either love it, depending on who you are, you'd either love it or you'd just absolutely not love it at all. Like it's a pretty confronting uh, country, particularly coming from Australia. So we had an absolutely wonderful time in India. I came home with the most terrible parasite. <laughs> I was so <laughs> sick. But in the first week that we were there, we are in Mumbai, which is the capital of, of India. And is it the capital of India? Hmm, maybe Google that. Um, let's go with that. Yes, it's the capital of India. We're, and, we're um, you're getting blank stares <laughs> from Catherine and I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it is. I think I think we would assume Delhi is, but I'm pretty sure it's Mumbai. Just I'm still reeling on the word parasite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catherine, you remember how sick I was. I was awful. Anyway, the first week we were there, my two friends, Jess and Alice, that I was traveling with, uh, as I would call them, leggy blondes. So they're quite gorgeous looking blonde haired girls. And we were approached on the street by this guy and he said, would you like to come to our film studios and be an extra in a Bollywood film? We will pay you. <laughs> so having no money, we decided that would be a great idea. We jumped at the at the offer and the next day I think a bus picked us up at about 6am, got on this bus just full of all of these other Westerners. <laughs> so they must have just like been sweeping the streets looking for, <laughs> for Western-looking people. And for those who have ever seen a Bollywood film, there's often Western dancers in the film. So we got there and we did hair, we did makeup, we got these incredible dresses to wear. And then we did like dance class lessons and learnt this whole dance, spent the whole day on this Bollywood film set. It turns out it was one of the biggest films for the year. It was called, if anyone's into Bollywood or wants to look it up, the film was called Partner. 
and it starred um, a guy named Govinda and this other guy whose name is Salman Khan and they were quite big Bollywood actors back in the day. And so we got photos with all of them. We're actually, when we got home, we sort of thought nothing more of it. And one of my friends went to one of those little Indian groceries to pick up some food and the the film, the DVD was sitting there. So she bought a copy. So we all have a copy of this Bollywood film that we starred in. That is fantastic. And can you see yourselves in the background dancing? And Yes. Um, it's very much like Catherine would laugh because I think I made her watch it about 100 times. But <laughs> if, you pour, if you press pause at the right time, you can see me in the background. So, nice. um, <laughs> And I think we got paid about 15 Australian dollars for the whole day on the set. So that was pretty awesome. I think that got us a whole couple of days worth of travel money. So it was fantastic. <laughs> that is terrific. <laughs> Now, as a family, we've always drunk wine around the table, but do you remember what your first wine was? I don't know if it was my first wine, but I guess my first real memory of drinking wine and loving it, I think Catherine, mum and dad were at an event at the winery and we were at our family friend's, the Klein's house. Many of you would know Steve Klein. So I think all the parents were at an event together and they'd left the kids at home and Steve had left a bottle of Moscato in the fridge. So we decided to have a little sip <laughs> and I think then I drank a little bit more and realised that I, because I always liked tasting wine but I never really liked drinking wine. I didn't think it was very nice but this was a very eye-opening experience for me that we actually had a wine that I really liked. <laughs> Within the Brown Family Wine Group portfolio, are you still hitting up the Moscato on the staff account or what's your favourite wine within the portfolio? Uh, I might ignore the first question and just tell you what my favourite wine is. <laughs> and this literally hasn't changed since I started working and I, I might be a little bit boring, but I just can't go past our Patricia Chardonnay. Kate Looney, hats off to you. It is always just a stunning wine and I'm always the first to try to get more on my staff account than what I'm allowed to. So I guess during this pandemic, I don't know if anyone else has had to visit someone in hospital or know someone in hospital at the moment, but you actually can't have visitors. And it means when we have the baby in a month, we can't actually leave the hospital. So Tim can't pop out. We can't get any deliveries or anything at the hospital. So whatever we pack in my suitcase is what we have for the week. So there's a couple of Patricia Chardonnay's going straight in there. I can tell you that. <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> looking forward to it post, uh, post having the baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, if, I, if I don't have a Patricia Chardonnay, close second is the Devil's Corner Resolution Chardonnay. I'm an absolute Chardonnay fiend. And then the other night I had a tiny little taste and I'm super excited about having a glass in a month's time is the new IB Pinot Noir and Gamay. That is absolutely delicious. So... And mm. what about outside of our portfolio? Is there a particular variety or wine that you go for more often than others? I don't drink outside of our portfolio. <laughs> Corporate. <Tick. laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chardonnays, I love them. I'll hunt them down. Some of the Chardonnays coming out of the Yarra Valley, Margaret River, are just absolutely sublime. So I'll always try to get my hands on a bottle of Chardonnay and try something new. And I also really love gin. I can gin hear the drinker. tone in your voice of, I also I'm love excited. gin. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I miss you. <laughs> I do miss you, gin. So, yeah, a, a big gin drinker as well. It just reminds me, I think being a kid, mum used to drink gin when she watched the Australian Open tennis. So it's always been a drink that's 
got happy memories and symbolizes relaxation for me. So yeah, definitely excited about getting stuck into a few gins soon as well. So so for any listeners, if you want to give Caroline a present, it's Chardonnay <laughs> or gin. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't go wrong. But don't deliver it to the hospital because I won't be able to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. There might be some drone activity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll hit you up with my room number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Caroline. Look, I think we're drawing to a bit of a conclusion now. So thank you so much for being being a good sport and heeding Catherine's request for giving us the opportunity to interview you. I think it's been absolutely terrific. We have to thank Catherine for coming on board and helping out while you're on holidays. I hope you've enjoyed... Holidays. <laughs> oh, holidays. Yeah. What, what do we call that? Maternity leave, yes. <laughs> I've, I've loved this. I hope uh, Catherine's enjoyed the experience as well and you getting the chance to be on the other side of the coin. I think uh, it was just terrific to hear some of those stories today. So thank you so much. Thank you for handing over the reins, Caroline. I, hopefully I can feel these big shoes. Thank you and good luck, guys. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss doing the podcast and miss you. So yeah, thanks so much for having me and all the best for the next few months. Hopefully, I can check in and say hi occasionally. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at the ferment, please send us an email: theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.